Guten Tag and bienvenidos listeners and welcome to Uber Cinco, the podcast game show where we deep dive top fives. I'm Brian Ernst, your master of ceremonies for today's debate, which I believe makes me your master debater. In the den today are familiar old chums, Mitch Brinkman and Nathan Henninvent. Today, these noble slews will attempt to reveal and defend their top five schemes you have hatched. Doesn't matter if it was successful. It only matters that you got it off the ground with your own ingenuity. Our first contestant is a master of disguise and deception. He can take down an enemy with stealth precision. Yet he himself can be taken down with a single crab rangoon. It's Nathan <laughs> Hennenfent. How are you? I am. I am well. Nobody has uh, snuck shellfish uh, past my gullet yet, so I'm still on my my uh, own two feet here. The day's still young, and his challenger, a man that eats so much crab rangoon, you know. It's just like, it's like coming out of his eyes. All right. It's Mitch Brinkman. How are you, sir? Hello, hello, hello. I am the master of deception. Welcome to my show today. We're going to have a lot of good times. So, you know, just sit back and like, we're going to have a good time. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. All right. I'm ready to kill. On, wow. on the show, on the show. Sorry. <laughs> on, on the show, on the show. <laughs> if you want to get blown to the moon, head on over to bizbear.biz to submit your suggestions and questions for upcoming shows. And if you're new to the den, welcome. And let us wake you up with a quick rundown of the rules. Each player in the den has spent time with today's topic, arranging their top five answers in order of importance. Those answers have been submitted to the host who will moderate the game, awarding points to the player with the most poignant answer. Starting with their number five choice, we'll move up the ranks until we reach each of their top answers. But if both contestants happen to have the same answer on their list, well, we have an Uber Stereo. You will hear the official Uber Cinco siren, and both players must reveal their answer and what number they ranked their submission. An Uber Stare Down is all or nothing, with one player earning three points. After all answers have been read, the host will reveal the final score. And as a reminder, don't forget to stick with us until the end of the show where I, Brian Ernst, will give you my Fast Five send-off where I'll rattle off the definitive list of the top five worst ranks of nobility to have. Names in which you wouldn't want to be caught dead having. Oh boy, I'm so excited. And finally, as host, I am entitled to institute a house rule for today's game. The contestant with the most failed schemes shall receive a bonus point in what I'm calling an A for effort. So we'll see if this works. Nathan, <laughs> you won the pre-show heist where you stole some virginity and dowries from a nearby village. So tally ho and go forth, my son, <laughs> with your number five. Oh, dear. Terrifying. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> well, my number five. Three off, didn't I? Sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> My, the village my of Desplaines, watch out. <laughs> <laughs> oh my uh, god. Number five was an act of pure evil in hindsight. Uh, this was the oh. great silverware heist that I conducted in my elementary school cafeteria back in about 1998. Did you steal oh. property and ruin it uh, and throw it away? It you ruined someone else's property? It was removed from the premises. That's all I need to know. Hey! hey. <laughs> it's an Uber stare down, folks. All right. Wait. Oh, shit. All right, oh Mitchell. 
What hey, hey, is hey. If, if you don't dance, it's not real, Nathan. You got to do a little jiggle. Come on. There we go. Okay. okay he good. danced. He danced. He danced. <laughs> the man danced. All right. Uh, Mitchell, what yep. is your competing item you stole off the premises? Um, my number five was, um, I call it the great ball letting of tennis camp, uh, bloodletting, you know, you, you, you slowly bleed yourself for health. Uh, I slowly stole balls for my health, uh, for my play I, well, health. So yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, slow your roll there. We will get into that in a sorry, minute. Okay. Yes. Talking yes, about hold your balls just for a few more minutes. Nathan, mm-hmm. please continue with your scheme. Well, I don't, I honestly can't remember why I started doing this. I was a really well-behaved kid in school. I just didn't get into very much trouble. So I think this was my silent act of rebellion and somehow it made me feel good. And basically whether I had brought my lunch in like a paper bag or whatever, or if I just had like lunch on the tray, as where you're like filing out, you take your tray to the little place and there's a trash can and you set the thing. And I just started throwing away my silverware every single day. <laughs> um, I just thought, I'm going to wait and see how long I can do this before there's consequences. And a few months go by. <laughs> and I'm just I'm just getting rid of a, a couple couple utensils a day. And, it, you know, we're not a big school in the, the this is kindergarten through eighth grade. And so, I mean, there must have been something like 150 to 200 students. So it's not like the cafeteria has a ton of resources. And eventually some of my friends catch on to the fact that I'm doing this. And like, there's actually like, they make an announcement like over the loud, you know, the, the daily announcements in the morning, the principal, like, like it's come to our attention that somebody has got to be doing this. Like the, please, this is so stupid. Just, just don't do this. Like, what are you gaining (laughs) from this? Just like a, just a plea to that, and well, at this point I'm in, and then then some other people wanted to start doing it, and so after like another week or two, they were like, "Fine, fine, you we can't have nice things anymore. You can't be trusted with silverware, so we're going to the plastic, non-reusable, and this is probably the biggest sin I have committed against the environment in my entire life, and it was completely pointless, but uh, I was never caught." This is my first time publicly admitting this, as I You're believe the statute no of limitations one, has run out. No one ever ratted on you? No. Wow. That, that, those are some good friends, because I definitely feel like most elementary schools, you'd have a rat uh, oh, smelling they, that cheese as a little prize, you know? In, uh, <laughs> la- later, down my, later down my list, uh, you'll see just how heroic some of these accomplices uh, truly could be in some of these schemes. <laughs> wow. You know, something like this. Like you guys are just so bored that this is exciting for you, just the momentary act of throwing silverware into a trash can. This is why small towns should leave piles of black cats, aka firecrackers, just on the edge of town. Let the kids find them, let them explode them. Let let it be like a fun, dangerous um, you know, scavenger hunt. And then instead, Gus the Gus the the custodian's gotta dig through the trash and save the metal silverware, I'm guessing, right? You know what would make that better for Nathan is if you put the fireworks next to a bunch of sharp knives near a pile of crab rangoon. <laughs> you were just describing what a perfect childhood. Like this is all the things he doesn't want, Mitchell. That's true. That's a good point. I'm sorry. I guess I was just thinking what what us roustabouts, what us true schemers, us true bad boys. Yes, would be no, normal, to do. No, normal bad boy young 
men love black cats. I mean, if you fill soda, glass soda pop bottles, which is a little bit of dog poop and left piles of firecrackers nearby, I'm good for like three to four years as an eight-year-old. Like, just <laughs> leave me alone. I will go until those are all exploded. I mean, that's, yeah. So that, that that's just me though. Um, what, like, so- to start, did it give you power? What was it, or was it just there was no other place to rebel in your in your in your world that this was the one spot you could do it? Uh, yeah, there was basically. I mean, there was first of all, there wasn't much to rebel against. It was you know, sleepy <laughs> yeah. little town like that. Great childhood. And, yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I loved you. Yep. For the most part, I got along with the teachers, and so it was just yeah, it was just boredom, frustration. Like I, and if, you know, it's such a small town, like if I got in trouble at school, you know, my parents would know within five seconds and it would just, you know, everybody in the world would know and it would be embarrassing. Yeah. So yeah. I would have much rather been caught at the end of this, like after six months and be like, <laughs> I can't believe he'd been doing it for six months. I would have kind of been proud of it, but it's like it, it's like the scene at the end of the movie when the killer or the psychopath has like their box of crimes and they just like they close the box and put it back in their closet and they're like till another time you know it's like <laughs> it still sits there you know there there was a kid named michael can in my class who was similar like and he would call us my other friends on our home phones the landlines from pay phones near dumpsters that he had just lit on fire and he would tell <laughs> us about it. oh my god <laughs> So there so literally I'm, was a paper trail. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. the guy called from that payphone. <laughs> yeah. One follow-up question, which is, Nathan, do you just get a rush of adrenaline every time you open your kitchen drawer and see silverware? Um, It's a little hit of dopamine, just like it was back in 98, you know? Yeah. All right. I was hoping it'd be more exciting for you. Mitchell, your tennis <laughs> balls. Tell me about your, at least you got to keep your stolen property. Why? How? Keep my trophies. how does- well, th- thankfully, uh, St. Paul Park District had a wonderful, robust uh, summer program for uh, us roustabouts to keep us off the streets, away from those piles of firecrackers. So I went to tennis camp one summer. I think I was like nine or ten. You know, we're learning how to play tennis, and I really don't have much interest in tennis at this point. And so I'm, I'm just putting on my Ken Griffey Jr. home run swing, and I'm just crushing balls over the fence. And the instructors are like, "Okay, you know." Let's try to keep them in the court. I'm like, oh, sure, sure, sure. Eight, nine, ten balls later, boom, another one over the fence. All the while, <laughs> I'm keeping count in my head. By the end of the day, I've got 10 to 12. And uh, I, I, you know, have got my tennis camp T-shirt on and because uh, they don't measure kids or care how big shirts are. Everyone's got an XL or an XXL, even if we're, you know, eight years old. So I just had this, like, kangaroo pouch. By then, they full of tennis balls. I go out and collect. And I bring them home to play the sport I really want to play, which is baseball. Um, and you know, so they do friend, they do make balls specific for that sport. Uh, I know, but uh, the reason I you can't play baseball is when we played it out in the street was when you're cranking home runs and slapping you know ground rule doubles off to the neighbor's house. A real baseball <laughs> is going to do some damage. So <laughs> most neighbors were cool with us just cranking baseballs all over the place. Um, and you know, because we stole so many. It, you know, if you crush one over Mark Genru's house across the street, 
he's like, you know, you're like, that's a home run. That's like if Barry Bonds hits one into the bay, like we're not getting that one back, you know. So um, it it made for some very heroic moments uh, on our on our diamond as well for for baseball and so. But um, I didn't learn much tennis. Uh, I didn't learn how to forehand or backhand or serve until just about a year ago. So my parents technically wasted their money on tennis camp, but I guess <laughs> I did get a bunch of tennis balls in return. So um, you turned it into baseball camp, which yeah. is. <laughs> It shows a lot of ingenuity, which fits the rules of today's game so well. The result of your scheme was you got to enjoy the thing you stole yep. in another form that you loved. Nathan, yep. what was the result of not having metal silverware anymore? I just every day when I went in and, and saw the plastic forks and spoons and everybody eating with them and struggling with them, I just this satisfaction got a little bit thinking, hard. I was like, I did that. <laughs> I did that. You are you're doing that because of the decisions I made. What do they serve steak in Roseville? Like, why is using a plastic knife so hard? I, I mean, it was school it was lunch. it was school lunches. It was the consistencies were very uh, suspect to say the least. <laughs> okay, but but also a plastic spoon and fork are way smaller and less good at picking up food than a metal spoon and fork. Right. See. Yeah. These people were suffering. <laughs> But so you also had to suffer that, right? Right, because you used the, the the utensils as well. It was a, it was a sacrifice I was willing to make. <laughs> no, then, then he started bringing metal silverware from home, and his mom got pissed. <laughs> All right, Nathan, your scheme makes absolutely no sense because you benefited absolutely nothing from it. So Nathan is winning this. Nathan Mitchell, Freudian slip Thank again. You. I was Mitch, say. you will be working the Uber stare down for the three points. Uh, we're gonna head back to Nathan now. For his number four. You just said working the Uber stare down. I think you meant to say winning the Uber stare down. I am, guys, I am so <laughs> lost today. I don't know where I am in this void that I'm sitting in. That I, I, I'm just so lost and confused. Uh, you won the stare down, Mitchell. Three points mm -hmm. to you. Thank Nathan, you you're number four. Thank you. My number four was a very simple deception. It was just a lie, just a little white lie that I yep. told to, to Phil lie. Ivy. So Phil Ivy, poker player? is this your neighbor? Who's Phil Ivy? Phil Ivy, one of the greatest poker players in the history of time. This happened. Uh, he has uh, something like thirty million dollars in career tournament winnings. Uh, I was at a tournament. This was two thousand ten. At the time, okay. Phil was regarded the best player in the world. Like watching him on TV he has an incredibly intimidating presence. So it's the World Series of Poker Europe main event. <laughs> no emotion. Twenty people Just left. Zero emotion. This guy uh, has yeah, nothing. Saying, I, I have questions and comments on that last statement, just but keep going, keep going. <laughs> well, he's he's sitting at the table with about 20 players left. Everybody is already making a significant amount of money because it started with like several hundred people. And I'm sitting behind him and his eyes just dart around. It's just he's an unsettling presence because of uh, just how stoic he is. He doesn't get rattled by anything. I watched them play for a while. It's pretty cool. There's some other notable people around just having a nice little afternoon. Uh, you know, TV cameras are there and everything. So it's just a cool setup to be close to. And then they go on a break and I'm going to leave. And I'm walking out the hallway and then here comes Phil. And Phil is like six foot four. But then with his net worth and celebrity and powers of intimidation. It's more like he's like 14 feet tall. And so I want to say hello to him. I just say like, Hey, how many, how many chips do you have? Uh, whatever. And, uh, he's friendly enough and he answers, uh, how about you? Are you still in? Like he thinks I'm playing in the tournament, which I, I 
most certainly it's a 10,000, 10,000 euro buy-in. So like 15 grand American yeah. and I'm a student. So the answer is <laughs> the, the truth, which I could have just said was like, oh no, I'm just here to watch. And it would have been absolutely nothing off of like, there would be absolutely no shame in that. But instead I was like, I was like, oh no, I was just, just eliminated, you know, bad luck. And so, so I was like, oh, sorry, we'll I'll see you next time. We go our separate ways. And then I, it hits me. Nathan, you just lied right to the face of the greatest poker player on the planet. There is absolutely no way he didn't see right through me. Uh, so then I, my tail was between my legs and I felt embarrassed about it for like the next three days. But you bluffed a bluffer. <laughs> I tried. I made an attempt. How, how, but how do you know he didn't believe you? Because he's Phil Ivy and I'm me. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> like the, the amount of the amount of shifty characters Phil has met in his life as as not only a guy who lives at the poker table, but also has significant gambling interests outside of that. Like all he is is around liars and people trying to get an edge on him. There's no way he was going to see through little old Nathan from Roseville is, you know, first time at a really big casino. But I'm doing the the rare thing as host on this show is I'm trying to build you up, Nathan. I'm trying to solidify <laughs> your confidence. Well, you could I, have very well bluffed the best bluffer. I'll feel much better when uh, I win the World Series main event against him heads up uh, next fall. So then okay. then I'll feel Thank re- redemption. You. Thank you. You're going <laughs> to get it. I swear. Number four. Mitch, you had some comments on this. So yeah, please. Okay. I, I just, and I understand. Oh, here it comes. <laughs> okay. I'm, All right. Okay. All right. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. 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 Hey, hey. Playing poker in person. Great, fun thing. I don't understand how poker on television has gone on so many channels i don't know who the hell watches it and to say it's fun to watch someone play poker when majority of it is they just sit there and stare i don't get it i find it incredibly boring if you removed money from it no one would give a shit well of course but that's yeah okay. that's that's my, exactly my, the point <laughs> my theory boring, is though. when it's you're boring I have a theory. I, I'm agreeing with you. I don't enjoy to watch it all the time. But my theory is, is somebody who's truly involved in playing poker and knows how the game is played, it is probably exciting to know what everyone's hand is at the table and what the reaction coming is going to be. But I, you and I don't play poker the way he plays poker. I think I think that, that that could be done in a Twitter feed, honestly. I just, I don't, I've, watching on TV... It's like they try so hard to make it like a big action thing. And you're like, I just. You know what? No one else is kind of like that. No one else is kind of like that. Basketball. Basketball. You just go down the court and you go back. Two points here, two points there, maybe a three. Back and forth, back and forth. It's the same thing. Nothing really matters to the last five minutes. So why even watch the first three and a half minutes? You know, you're letting diarrhea dribble out of your mouth slowly when you say things like that, Brian. (laughs) I'm playing devil's advocate. No, well, you're doing a terrible job of it then because you're not making an, an obvious or clear or concise point about it. So maybe you know I am. Just it's just on. really flustering oh. your, your your little it's stolen not. tennis balls. It's not because pe- poker is people sitting at a table quietly staring down at the table or basketball is 10 people moving around, jumping, leaping, uh, slipping, sliding, uh, scritching, and blocking their way around. You know, it's just... So is gymnastics. So, uh, Nathan... I loved loved watching Michael Jordan scritch. I believe that was my favorite thing to watch (laughs) on the basketball court. Do you know what a scritch is? I don't. 
scritches, <laughs> scritches when you stop really quickly and then go the other way. You go scritch and then you, and you gotta go the other way. So. Oh yeah, I thought yeah. that was a. I thought that was a <laughs> that's a scritch. Not, that's not called a juke anymore. That is a scritch. No, no, that's a like a scritch, scritch. And then it's, if you if you listen, if you listen to the NBA Inside Stuff Miked Up series, Michael Jordan says scritch like thousands of times throughout his career. So just yeah. just listen in. So. Nathan, do you have a theory on why people watch poker as a poker player yourself? Not anymore. Um, it used to be much more entertaining. Uh, back in the in the early days when when nobody really knew what was going on. I, I thought you didn't have an opinion anymore. Like, no. no, I did, but it's gone. No, it's it, it used to like before people got like a lot of people are like really really good at the game now, and it yeah. is it is very boring to watch on TV. But in the early days of the World Series, when it was a lot of people just throwing money around and people weren't very good and people were a lot more animated personalities and yeah. it was edited a lot differently. It was never shown live. It was all edited and condensed. Um, yeah. Watching it live. That makes sense. And, yeah. and to Mitch's point, if they were like introduced like hockey fights or something to it, I think it'd be a lot cooler. Yeah. Well, and, you could and, throw your chips at somebody and beat the shit out of them for bluffing <laughs> you. That'd be fantastic. Also, like the World Series of Poker, where you, like you're working up, it's a clear kind of structure and a pyramid thing of going to the top. But now they have those shows where it's like Poker Shark All Stars live from the Bahamas, and like eight guys, thirty million dollars. You're like, well, there's no point to this. It's just for these guys to become richer, and you know, that's it. Like, like there's no. There's no underdog potential there, you know, so that, that that's, of course, just my opinion. That's my opinion. But, you know, and that's all we can do is lay our opinions at the audience's feet. Like my opinions on basketball probably mean nothing. As I admitted to Mitch last night, I turned on Space Jam, <laughs> a new legacy. I learned last night that LeBron oh. is on the Lakers. I did not know that until last night. If you would have asked me today or, or yesterday before I'd watched it, I'm like, oh, he's still on the Cavs. I, mean, he was, I, I thought he was in Miami for a while. I think he's back at the Cavs. So don't listen to me. Mitch, you're number four. <laughs> I, you know, I guess I guess it's good now that you're updating your basketball knowledge and that we can be very happy about. Um, See, yes. common ground. Common ground. Common ground. Let's find it. Let's revel in it. So right now for this one, number four, I'd like to see if I can put this green screen to use here and put myself at a beautiful pool. Hold on. Whoa, wow, what a pretty pool. Yes. Uh, so my number four is I'm, I'm calling it the country club discount. And this is the very uh, simple but very schemy and very delicious uh, undertaking of you go to the country club with your friend who's already a member. Huge pool. They got a golf course. They have a gym. They have tennis courts. You know, they've got a snack hut. They've got like a cabana <laughs> to hang out in. It's a very nice country club. Uh and his family at a country club, you have a number. So whatever you say, I'll take three hot dogs, three bags of Lay's, uh, two um, Mountain Dew Code Reds, and two ice creams, put it on 714. And the teens working in the hut are like, great, cool, done. It'll be there in 15 minutes. But what I did is I, when we were there, would listen to other groups of people's orders, listen for a number, and because also everyone was there just white. I'm like, I could be in any of these families. Absolutely, our friend. So <laughs> That is a huge upside to pulling off this scheme. Yes. That is something that's very much necessary yes. to pull this off in a racist, waspy area. Exactly. Also, this is the kind of club where like, if you, if you look like you don't belong, someone will probably come up to you and they're a mom, a.k.a. Karen. And they'll be like, excuse me, who? what's your last name? You know, who are your parents? Are you a member? That kind of thing. So, but you listen for a number and then you come back another day without your friend, hang out by the pool, 
get yourself some cheesy nachos, throw it down with some, you know, some cherry Coke, um, and a slushy to end it up. And, uh, you've got yourself a wonderful little pool day and turns out that Magnuson's paid for all of it. And they have no idea where these charges came from, uh, when they check their bill, you know, the, a, the a couple months ago. Yeah. Or, <laughs> or the Rembrandts or the Wilkins or whatever name. The yeah. Johnsons, that sounds you know. pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Um, it would have been cause they had the, there was like the, the, the chicken tender basket, which is like 10 chicken tenders fries came with it. And then, mm. um, you got the, uh, it was like a, they had like a frozen lemonade, like slushy thing. I, th- I think it was like a frozen, um, a frozen, uh, who's the old, old white guy golfer. Oh God, that doesn't help at all. Um, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Duh. God, I can't believe I forgot Arnold. Yeah. So it was like a frozen Arnold Palmer chicken that tendies, French fries, and then ice cream to end. And also I think probably some bags of chips. So you add that all up. Of course, it's it's uh, inflated prices because it's Country Club too. So probably close to forty dollars in one wow in one, one go. That's not that's not, and what's forty dollars for the Rembrandts? Exactly. Like that's exactly. <laughs> and well, also they ain't checking that statement to keep your membership at the club. You have to spend an amount of money every month. So if anything, I help them reach their minimum. So they're welcome <laughs> as they go home and just just chastise Tanner and Whitley for (laughs) running up too many chicken tendy orders. (laughs) Oh man. Now I, I've never been in a country club. I've never had access to to one or friends. No, I have not. I'm so sorry. Mm. Closest I had was the local park district pool. Mm. And about what year were these country club extravaganzas you were attending? This would have been late nineties, like 96 to, to 2001 probably. Okay, and then mine probably would have been like yeah, ninety nine to 03 in their yeah. area. Yeah, the thing I would always look forward to at these pools is going to there because this is the summers that they had Pepsi Blue in twenty ounce bottles Ooh. at the pool, Ooh. and I would drink these all the time. <laughs> and then the summer that they stopped carrying them, I stopped going to the pool. That's how important <laughs> Pepsi Jeez. Blue was to me at this time. I hope I hope that's when you started taking vitamin D supplements as well. Um, didn't need to. Uh, I was in the sun oh, okay. for just a little bit. Now I just open a window. Okay. Mm, that's all I got to do. Okay. We, we belonged a couple summers to the country club, but just the pool. So we were only allowed, oh. my family was only allowed to go to the pool. The first time I ever got in to go to the building was like 13 years later for a funeral banquet. <laughs> Wait, so would they, did they have security at the door be like, no, you're clearly a pool member, not a full club member. Like that is always well, so I, weird to me. Like how they, how they, you pool know. kid, we got a pool kid. <laughs> yeah. We I, got a wet runner. He's a wet runner. Get him. It, it, it never crossed my mind though. Cause like what would I have wanted to do at the yeah. country club other than the pool? Yeah. So. I want like a, like a not flaky enough, tasteless chicken pot pie from the from the you know from the bar, whatever. Yeah, no, thank you. Wa- <laughs> washed out with tasteless. a Pepsi Blue, <laughs> as advertised by my favorite band, Papa Roach. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> Brian, wh- well, wh- 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 cut my life into pieces. This is my last resort. Is to give the scores for this number four. Uh, <laughs> what's your Mitch, Brian? What's your record Pepsi Blue consumption in a day? Do you think? Probably forty to sixty ounces, Jesus. which would be two or three. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's a one for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's something too. 
for this number four, Mitchell, I am giving you three points uh, because I I love taking advantage of rich white people. And Nathan, I'm only giving you two points because you did convince Phil Ivey and I need you to believe it. Well, I damn it. That's worth more to the than one point. So I appreciate it. There you go. Suck on that, <laughs> Phil. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's make sure to tweet out that clip and tag Phil Ivy, uh, Nathan's hero. Okay. Number three. Back to you, Nathan. What do you got for us? This was with my old roommate, Russell, and we convinced somebody at the bar that we were hitmen. Um, oh. <laughs> oh. Baseball yeah, players? So- <laughs> no, literal uh, contracted murderers. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh that's nice. Yeah, me, little old now Nathan. You're spe- now you're speaking yeah. Mitch's language. Yeah, yeah. little blood, we little were, violence. Love it. We were at this bar. This no longer exists uh, here in Chicago. Um, it's called McNamara's. We're sitting at the oh. bar. It's a pretty crowded night, middle of winter, mm. nice and cold. And then there's this uh, this gentleman to, to our kill. right. Yeah, <laughs> this, this guy is uh, this guy is he's big, he's loud and he is just off his saw. Like he is gone. He is very drunk. Drunkest guy in the room. Not my finest and, night. Um, so Rus- <laughs> Russell was uh, wearing like just a white T-shirt. He's pretty, pretty strong, dude. Bald. Oh. He looks like Mr. Mm-hmm. Clean on this particular evening. And I think that's what Sexy. gave credence to what this guy believed about us. <laughs> he comes over. He's and so he's next to me, and then Russell's to my left, and he's like, "Hey, uh, I know what you guys do," and we're like, uh, uh, "Well, Russell's an attorney," and he's like, "No, no, I know what you guys really do," and we so we I I keep kind of trying to figure out where this is going. He's like, "I know you guys make problems go away," and I was like. <laughs> And so Russell's like, all right, maybe we should go. And I was like, well, you know, we've been known to take care of a few things. <laughs> and so this, <laughs> this guy's, he, he starts talking about some political situation in Winnebago County, which is about a two hour drive away from Chicago. Mm-hmm. And uh, it turns out that he and some people that he worked with had some issues with the mayor. And he didn't say the mayor, or maybe he's a mayoral candidate, but he kept he kept insinuating that we might be able to help him out. And I was like, well, you know, we can, but I'm going to need a name. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to need a name. <laughs> and yeah. I just kept, kept dragging it out and dragging it out. And then this guy started to get a little, a little concerned that he was like, maybe I've gone too far. Like maybe this guy is going to go kill the mayor of Winnebago County and there's blood will be on my hands. And, uh, <laughs> so, so he finally, he finally left and, uh, Russell and I were like, wow, that was really bizarre. And so a couple nights later, we're back in the same bar and see one of my neighbors. And so he and his uh, girlfriend and we're the four of us are sitting there and Russell's tells this story. He's like, the weirdest thing happened to us in here last night. And while we're doing it, my friend goes to his phone. He pulls it out and he's like, was this this guy who's like kind of a a bigger dude? He pulls up his phone, shows a, a picture and said, was that him? And we're like, actually, yeah. And he goes... It's my brother. <laughs> He's like, he gets, he gets drunk and he goes into this weird, like mafia character. I don't know. It's, it's so apparently, apparently this wasn't the first time somebody had uh, pulled this one off. Drunk persona. That is, 
impressive. Wow. Wait, that the recesses of his mind pulled that forward. So, so, so both parties were trying to scheme each other. Is that what this? Is that what you're saying? It's hard to tell what his motives were. I'm like, maybe he thought he was playing a trick on us, but then he found out that we really were gonna go uh, oh. commit some politically motivated murder. Sure, sure, sure. Or he was just. I mean, it's it's hard to suss out what was going on in in the mind of someone who'd uh, had this many shots of Jameson. Yeah. This makes me think of this story because obviously, I mean, you know, you and Russell, you guys are, are are bigger dudes. If you needed to kill someone, you guys could do it. And together you could For easily sure. carry a body. I, easily, I appreciate you saying so. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and of course, like you guys both know, it's like, you know, you got to have a bone saw and then also a very sharp chef's knife to like take the body apart in a in a productive manner. And like you need to have at least four to five heavy duty trash bags, zip ties, all those kind of things. Obviously bleach, you know, yada, 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 yada. I don't have to tell you things you already know. But right. This situation, <laughs> this situation reminds me of. I, I I watched a great short documentary about the maple syrup industry in Canada and how there's like a consortium that controls prices and people are trying to do under the table like illegal maple syrup tapping and how this whole industry uh, is like partially controlled by the Canadian mafia, which just would make me laugh so hard. Like you're at a back breakfast joint getting pancakes. And just three burly guys walk up and like, finish your pop. Come on, let's go outside. We're going to talk about this little sweet situation we got going here, you know. And you're like, oh, shit, you know. You, you try and find a bathroom window to slip out of. But that's what it reminds me of. And I love it. I love it so much. Um, and I, I would love to kill for a barrel of maple syrup. I would absolutely do that. Like real good maple Mitch, syrup. Done. I got something to clarify with you, Mitch. Did yep. you just recently – say how much how boring watching poker is but watching maple document maple syrup documentaries is better <laughs> this was not about the production of maple syrup this is about the organized corruption or over around i can't talk either around I'm, I'm yanking i'm yanking your chain i've seen the documentary it's oh good. you have but oh there we go <laughs> again but i have to play devil's advocate okay, okay sure all right uh, <laughs> I gotta do my damn job, yeah. Mitch. You're number three. What do you have for? Uh, actually, I, I I do have a question for Nathan. Nathan, if you were a hitman, what would be your like your gimmick or your tick or like what kind of item you'd always have with you or something like that? Ooh. Oh, the uh, the tennis spades would be my calling card. Ooh. Wow. Favorite oh card God. in the deck. Yeah, and I could I could be standing standing on it, you know, in a in a darkened doorway on a a side street in the evening, just shuffling a pack of playing cards. Just sure. Real slow shuffle. Nice slow ripple. So that, let what people, people know don't know is, is you have the you have the wrist flick down. So if you need to, you can fucking and just break <laughs> yeah. their necks. Ten of spade in the neck. And they die. This actually is a character we're gonna develop later. I'm glad we uh I'm yes. glad we talked about this. <laughs> I, it'd be hilarious if someone dies and falls in their stomach. You leave the spade just in their butt crack, you know. So it's just like poking a fire. <laughs> <laughs> then, this isn't even for your number three, Mitch. But you're getting one point for that. Thank so. you very much. Thank you're you welcome. very much. Um, I, I I will move us along here. My number three is a it's um it's an incredible scheme, and I'm very very proud of the level of deception involved in it. And that is my junior year of college. Uh, we, we took the, the cable cord from the wall. We plugged into our TV, just hoping to get, you know, ourselves ABC, NBC, you know, PBS. And guess what, boys? We had full fucking cable, and it was glorious, and it was completely free. And uh, one of the channels we got was the Food Network. So Brad and I, an old roommate, 
we both learned a lot about food that year and uh it was freaking awesome no one came to get us no one came to like tell us we we're doing something illegal we just got to watch Ina Garten and Jamie Oliver and Bobby Flay do their freaking thing. So it was wonderful. So the extent of your scheme was you plugged a cable into a wall? <laughs> well, okay. No, no. Because, Fair point. Fair no, point. Because, because from going from there forward, you know, the omelets I made for my guests had a deceptive amount of flavor to them. It was like a layer of cheese, a layer of egg. You've got, ooh, what is that? Is, is that Maldon salt in there? Absolutely. Freshly cracked pink pepper. You ever heard of that? Didn't think so. Um, what else goes in a beautiful, like, ooh, a little soy sauce? That's very nice. Kimchi? I didn't think of that before watching the Food Network. You're welcome. And then also, this helps because you make food and people like you more. So that's also probably like a little bit of a scheme. Um, that can Wait, so, so your deception was the level of flavor in my food. Yes, it's <laughs> that you were just it's inherently incredible. talented as opposed to watching Stolen Food Network. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I guess yeah, because because you know my food may look run of the mill or just like a guy is putting it together, but it doesn't taste like that. It tastes like there are <laughs> tastes like there are stories within that food. You know, like you make what you basically just said. Your presentation is shit, but the taste is great. <laughs> yeah, I guess I am saying that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I am saying that. Thank you very much. And also, you know, what else I discovered that year uh, is how to make a great batch cocktail. Another thing. Thank you, Bobby Flay, for teaching me that. Nathan, you directly uh, benefited from this, and thus probably liked me more because of it at our Bible figures party when I made a great giant lime batch cocktail, got everyone that, that real you did. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> that's my number three and it's great. So thank you very much. What was, what was the basketball term? You said that Michael Jordan says all the time. Scritched. So you scritched and shockered. Everybody <laughs> exactly. Yes. I have some bad news and I have some good news about the scoring of this round. A- uh, the good news is Nathan, you're getting three points uh, for constantly saying politically motivated motivated murder. So I liked hearing that a lot. Okay. Great scheme. And then Mitch, I was gonna give you zero points because you just plugged in a cable, truly. But you used, you told us that you can put his card in butt cheek. So there's your plus yeah. one. <laughs> and also while you were talking about disposing of bodies, you said bone saw. Yep. Which just reminded me of Macho Man Randy Savage's cameo in the first Spider-Man movie because <laughs> Boonsaw is ready. So there's another plus one point for you. So you're getting two points for this round. Wow. Not from not for anything you said, but just for your, your comments on Thank Nathan. you. So, I mean, that's the way the game is played because yep. I said so. Yep. Number two, Nathan, what do you got for us? This is the Great Homework Escapade Part 1. Homework? Oh, my God. What? We- we got a stare down. We got one. This is another stare dance, down. Dance, dance, dance. Woo. I'm going to take this one again. Like, it probably won't be close. I'm, I just want to say that. All right. right well, tell us what is your number two, sir? My number two is the incredible uh, special ops, uh, special, spec ops, excuse me, <laughs> spec ops tactical move that my classmates and I pulled to get our friend his paper into the pile of papers late. Uh, without penalty. Well, so far your name's not as cool as Nathan, so he has the upper hand. Nathan, please explain your number two. I had just completely forgotten to do a homework assignment. Sitting in, uh, we're like the room is divided in half, and we sat at tables. This was a science class, 
and there were like five people at a table. And so it's like, okay, everybody pass your papers to the middle. And I just didn't have one. And she, she was like, did everybody turn one in? And I just, I was like, well, I'm going to have to figure a way, figure a way out of this one. And so I just, I just sat there and hoped that she would miscount. And apparently she did. And so she sits her, uh, hits the stack of homework on her table. She's going to grade it later or whatever, get through the rest of the class. The next thing I have is a study hall, which is right across the hall. The teacher in the study hall, Mrs. McKinney, and the teacher in the science room, Mrs. Jeanette, were super good friends. And uh, my friend, Nate Popkin, who helped me with uh, this scheme and the scheme at my number one, we came up with an idea. First of all, he had the assignment and he had that class later in the afternoon. I just copied everything he had, just got all of his answers. So it was done real quick. And then uh, we were like, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to get this over into the room before she grades it? Then we remembered that another teacher, and I don't remember her name, but she was out on maternity leave and she was going to be bringing uh, her baby in so that the rest of the staff and students could see the baby. And we're like, okay, if we can just be the first people to see when the baby is arriving, we can manufacture a moment where, you know, everybody the gathering around and the ooing and the eyeing about the new baby. Nate keeps his eyes open outside the door and then he sees the, the teacher coming and he, he leaves the room without permission, mind you. So it was a big risk. <gasps> oh, wow. But then... He comes back with the big news that the baby is here. And so he's immediately (laughs) forgiven. And so both teachers come out and Nate goes, this is so heroic. He actually is holding the baby by the time he comes back. And so 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 he stands at the opposite side of the hallway so that everybody's looking away. So I sprint across. I run into the science room and everybody is like, what the hell are you doing? And I'm freaking I'm like just staring like you know rifling through all the papers on the desk i find the right place i put it down i sprint back across take my seat i was never caught got away with it so it was a room full of students too that were waiting for the teacher to return and no one ratted on you again wow there there must not be a lot of cheese in that school a lot of rats i was i was i was a popular figure around roseville uh, junior high i was one of the top 20 most popular students in my class of 25. Was it your jokes? Back. Was it your looks? Was it your athletic ability? Was it your deceptively flavorful uh, omelets you gave to people? What was it? <laughs> it was it was uh, my unbelievable smoothness with the ladies. Ooh. <laughs> hey, do you want to go to um, uh, Oliver's Cafe or... The bowling uh, it was, alley. <laughs> it was the the bowling alley is a legitimate option. Yes, yes. Also, we at the time we could have gone to B and C's hometown cafe, oh, affectionately known as the Barf and Choke, uh, <laughs> or of course the Ice Cream Shack. Hey, I uh, I, re- I really like you a lot, and I just want to know if I could take you to to the Barf and Choke and really show you a good time. <laughs> you say those well, exact it, same words the, in seventh grade or at the age of 30, and they mean two completely different things. <laughs> yes. B, B and C's hometown cafe uh, closed at like 2 p.m. It was like one of those places just for farmers to go at 4.30 in the morning sure. to of drink course, coffee and then course. come back on their lunch break, and then they shut her down. I mean, I mean the, well. the, the barf and choke is a reference to the puke and choke um, joint in Smoking the Bandit. Uh, one of my new favorite films. I just wanted to say that again, even though I mentioned it last week. So keep going. Sorry about that. <laughs> you can cut that part out. You can cut that part out. No, no, no. I, I, cut, I, out. cut that out. I, re- I rewatched Smoking the Bandit maybe three or four weeks ago when I didn't know you were back in it again, too. Yeah. So, I mean, this is 
It's just serendipitous. It is. Everyone should go watch Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah. It's a good movie. Yep. All right. Uh, so that was Nathan's homework scheme. Mitchell, what was your number two homework scheme? Yes. Yeah, so we're in biology class, Mr. Kinsley's class. And it's the day of a big paper turn-in. Uh, you know, you, you've done an experiment. You did some research. You're probably writing seven, eight pages, that kind of thing. Young man by the name of uh, Joe Lindsay was late to class, and he came in like 30 minutes late. I think he lied and said said been at the dentist or the orthodontist or something, and everyone still got braces at that point. Um, and but he's got to get his paper into the pile, um, and uh, and he's 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 got to. It's got to, you know, slip it in somehow without Mr. Kinsley knowing. And we're watching a documentary. So the lights are off. Mr. Kinsley's like working on something up, up, up on his desk. And, uh, so, but he needs to be distracted enough. And Joe has gotten down on the floor and he thinks he can just army crawl in the dark up one of the aisles and get it up into the, into the pile of papers. And it becomes clear that that's not going to work because, People, this has not been said out loud, and there are not enough cool with it people in the class to not stare at him or be like, Joe, what are you doing on the floor? You know, like they were, my school was full of fucking rats. Absolutely. So you had to be careful. And so, so, so what was kids first started trying to distract Mr. Kinsley, and that wasn't working. Again, too many fucking rats. So then what? Charlie Dahl did. Charlie Dahl was a hero, and he was one of Joe's very good friends. Uh, was that Charlie Dahl, who'd experienced one of these a couple weeks prior, started to give off the the symptoms or the the uh, the warning signs of a diabetic episode. Charlie Dahl was a was a diabetic. Um, when he would he kind of get erratic, he would start swearing. Um, he would have trouble with his words. He would get confused. That kind of thing. And so he starts asking questions about this documentary we were watching. I think it was a Planet Earth documentary, something like that. And just start saying some just banana shit, you know, like, hey, if, if a grasshopper melts itself, like, wouldn't the snake want to come over and just, like, swallow the whole colony? And Mr. Kinsey's like, grasshoppers don't live in colonies. Like, it, but, you know, what are, what are you talking about? You're like, well, no, hold on. But, like, if a tiger cub really wants, like, you know, a, a big elephant's attention, why not just, like, wave a flag and be like, what are you talking about, Charlie? What the fuck? And so Charlie gets up and he starts kind of, like, feeling like he's woozy and dizzy and he start he goes to the back of the class where plants and specimens whatever like the experimentation area and gets Mr. Kinsey to follow him back there and tells Mr. Kinsey at one point to like dude like back the fuck up and Mr. Kinsey though was like the nicest teacher and he was like oh my god Charlie do you, are you okay and he's like yeah I feel fucking fine like what the fuck? so he turns and he's immediately like guys someone go get me an orange juice <laughs> and I think the plan stat <laughs> the plan was to have Mr. Kinsley leave the room for an orange juice it would have been an easy you know paper insert but instead someone else has to go get it so then me and like three other classmates get up and go circle around Mr. Kinsley and, and doll in the back of the room to completely like make a little human flesh wall so we couldn't see Joe put the paper into alphabetic order in the pile. Uh, Cause Mr. Kinsey also was a very particular man too. So he liked to have his papers in uh, alphabetic order. Uh, we, we make the, the human flesh wall. We, he gets the paper in the pile. Mr. Kinsley is, is never the wiser. Thankfully we get to all the OJ all of a sudden within 30 seconds. Boom. He comes back. Uh, his brain works again and we all sit down and we finish planet earth. It was wonderful. It was incredible. Uh, for this stare down, Mitch, you didn't do much in this scheme. This was somebody else's scheme that you were a party to. 
Like you weren't crawling on the floor. You didn't fake the diabetic episode. You kind of just jumped in at the last minute. You didn't really plan anything. You just sprung a net. I didn't rat. I helped distract and I was part of the human flesh wall. I think those are all pretty important parts of this. Those are important elements, but they are not the creation of the scheme. Therefore, this stare down is going to the adventures of Nate and Nathan. Three points hold to on, you, hold sir. Hold on, hold on, wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on. What? Nate, what? Nate got to talk about their scheme first. They planned it out. This was an improv scheme. This was an on-the-fly, everyone's picking up signals and taking care of business scheme. I think, I think that deserves- title of the episode not top five schemes you hatched, which means they planned their scheme. That is better for the rules of today. You can hatch a scheme on the fly. It doesn't have to be planned. I have spoken. Oh, come on. Three points oh. to Nathan. <laughs> right, Moving fine. on to our number ones. Nathan, what is your number one? Well, mine is the Great Homework Escapade Part 2. He's oh, double dipping. You're going to let him double dip on this show? Oh, my lord. Uh, my sorry, let up. me check the rules. Let me check the rules. He can double dip. Number one. Go. Don't lie to the audience. There are so. no rules. <laughs> <laughs> So so after after I got away with uh, that particular scheme, so as you remember and you pointed out, Mitch, somebody in the other room was there when I came running in and yeah. was frantically mm-hmm. moving around. So a couple of uh, the people who saw me do that, they asked what exactly I was doing. I explained it. And so they made a bet with me. You just you can't do an You like absolutely can't do an assignment. And then we want to see if you can replicate this feat of getting it turned in. And I said, OK, but I get to pick the class and the teacher and I get to have accomplices. We agreed to the deal. It was like 20 bucks, which was a lot of money for, uh, wow. for oh, a seventh yeah. grader. Yeah. Oh, that's wow. For sure. I Here's picked, where the gambling starts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this might have been the this is probably one of the first bets of over ten dollars I had ever made. And so I picked I can't remember this teacher's name. So I will. We'll just go with Smith because I. Yeah. But I picked. Don't worry, they're probably dead. Continue. <laughs> well, I, I picked uh, Mrs. Smith because she just wasn't too bright, and she <laughs> she taught a she taught a class that was meaningless. It was some sort of like spelling and grammar class. It wasn't even like called English. <laughs> like we had an English class, and then this one was even more. And I had conned her like once or twice before because this was her first year, and she was struggling to have any control over the eighth graders because <laughs> yeah. you know we'd been around the block or eighth graders uh, yeah and it was like okay if uh if you leave your assignment in the hallway like that's that's a no-no and so i, I say hey i left my assignment in the hallway and she's like oh well that's giving me 10 points deducted i'm like yeah you know can i go get it so i went to my locker picked it up folded it up put it in my pocket came back and i was like i couldn't find it let me check my uh my binder again slipped it into my binder is like oh it was in my binder the whole time i guess i get full credit and so that worked so i knew if she was uh, dumb enough to fall for that she was going to be an easy mark sure picking a good mark it's yeah. key to the fir- first key to a good scheme yeah so anyways all right how, do, how did you nail this idiot <laughs> how did this absolute moron get it well i we have an assignment i go and i sit in the back room I'm banking on the fact that she can't count to like 25, which is how many people are in the class. <laughs> it is. God, she, she's so stupid. It is spelling class. It's not counting class. So yeah. very smart. Yes. Very good. <laughs> yeah. So she, everybody passes their stuff forward. She counts through it and she's like, okay, one's missing. Like who didn't turn it in? I don't say anything. 
she's like, okay, everybody stand up. When I read your name, you sit down. So she reads through and I just, I'm in the back. So I just kind of slowly sit down in my chair when she's like looking at her papers. She doesn't notice. Then she recounts and she's like, oh, I must have miscounted. Gotcha. There's step one. So oh then we, uh, we, class is adjourned. We're in study hall. We're back in the, uh, the science room now. So next, next door. I, uh, it, it's something that had to be typed. So I get access to the computer and then my trusty sidekick, Nate Popkin, once again, uh, jumps into the yeah. fray. So the, the printer that we have to use is in Mrs. Smith's room. So Nate scouts it out. He finds an excuse to go over there. She's sitting at the computer right by the printer. So he comes back, gets whatever easy ass assignment we had for her class comes up with a dumb question and we time it. So I hit print and he walks over just before I do. He shoves the assignment like right in her face. So she can't see what's coming out of the printer. Asks a really dumb question. She's really flustered. As soon as he sees I've got it, he's like, oh, I've got it figured out. And we, we leave. So she doesn't know that I've just printed it off. Now, here's the most important step. Now I find a sixth grader who will let me work their shift in the cafeteria this lunch hour for them. Uh, which wait, this wait, is where wait. it started to look suspicious. Wait, <laughs> so, your school forced kids to work in the cafeteria? No, if if you worked in the cafeteria, you could get a free lunch. Oh, okay, okay. So I had never worked in the cafeteria it before. It, it, it wasn't forced. It no. wasn't slavery. It, it was, was indentured a, servitude. Yeah, yeah it's very clear. So it's line. just the poor kids or the kids with with parents who who were tight with their money. I wasn't going to say it, but yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> and so anyways, I'm, I go in and I'm washing dishes for the first shift. Um, and then they're like, which, Hey, uh, you're rich. Get out of here. And you're yeah. like, oh, <laughs> and so, so like there were a couple teachers that were like, all right, we know you're up to something, but we're just going to look the other way. Cause I just, we just don't have time to deal with you. And you so I, I worked the first shift kid. Sorry, I keep going. and then, uh, yeah, and then uh, I had not not just Nate Popkin this time, but Levi Wickline also. Ooh, great uh, names, they, great names. Levi Wickline, man. Yeah. And uh, awesome. they cover for me as I like I finish the first shift of lunch. So everybody else is in the cafeteria, including Mrs. Smith, who's overseeing it. And now the cafeteria is at the very top of the hallway. Her room is at the very end with the doors. After lunch, we all get to go outside for quote unquote recess or whatever, mm-hmm. like 10 minutes of just milling around outside or playing basketball. And, um, so I run down the hallway in this little window before everybody starts coming down. I get my assignment out of my locker. I run in and I'm again, rifling through a desk. I got to go into like cabinets and drawers this time. And I've got Levi Wickline standing at the door, like telling me, he's like, okay, she's, she's 30 yards away. She's 20 yards away. You got to hurt. Like, you know, and finally he's like, he's like, it's time. (laughs) And I, and I find it just in time. I shut the drawer and then I just sneak back and I just kind of slide out of the door nonchalantly. And I got away completely clean. And, uh, uh, four kids had to chip in $5 each to get me my 20 bucks. That's a pretty good scheme. That's a pretty good scheme. That's a good scheme. I have, that's worthy of being a number one scheme. I have a question though. And this is a very, this is like a kind of linchpin about this whole thing getting pulled off as a rich kid. How did you know how to wash dishes? (laughs) (laughs) uh, well i didn't have to wash any silverware if you remember oh that's good (laughs) that makes it a lot easier all right i gotta keep this trainer rolling here uh mitch what is your number one 
it's going to be a tough one to beat. I'm going to be honest. What do, what do you got for My us? number one um, was both devious um, and it was when I first kind of discovered acting, I think, really, because I really had to sell it for it to work. And then I got a bunch of – a lot of benefit coming my way. And that's when I um, made everyone think that uh, there was a bunch of popos, you know, the five zero on the way to this giant keg party I was at my freshman year of college. We find the party on Facebook because people used to put parties on like that on Facebook back in uh, back in our day, and it's like two blocks away, which feels like a very long journey when you're a freshman in a brand new city. Oh yeah, we find the apartment. No furniture in the living room, dining room. They had a keg in the corner and just five bucks a cup, as many people as they could cram in there. So full that like it takes twenty minutes to get to the keg. But then one of the uh, the uh, hosts, I think, saw me probably. Um, He'd been a little bit thirsty, and they said, "Hey, uh, kid, uh, or kid, shithead, I don't know, uh, ginger, uh, frotch, like <laughs> scritch, yeah, scritch, hey, scritch." <laughs> and I stopped in my tracks, turned around, I was like, "Scritch, yep." Yeah. <laughs> like, Come back over here. Um, and so they proposed to me. They're like, "Hey, if you help us clear out all these kids, uh, we'll get to keep all their money, and then we'll just get to drink all this beer." And then we we'll, we won't have to have people in our house for all night and like destroy our house. And uh, me being a, a, a drunken little shithead as as an eighteen year old, I was like done and done. And so I went out to the the back uh, the, the backyard, whatever. Went out in the alley, and then came back and was like, "Cops are on their way! Cops are coming in through the back! We gotta go! We gotta go!" And got people to clear out of the house. And I was running with people, so I, I ran like a block and a half, whatever. Peeled off on my own went down another alley and then came back and uh, they gave me 20 bucks. And then um, I got to drink as much beer as I you know, could in like two hours and uh, got drunk with these guys. And um, that was, that was my, my big payment was all that beer. Um, in retrospect, it was kind of sad because I didn't have my friends with me that were freshmen. They were like, you know, seniors uh, who mainly don't give a crap about freshmen in college. I feel like, um, and I, I don't remember any of their names. Um, I don't remember anything about them. Uh, so clearly we didn't make, you know, a, a friendship connection that night. Actually, I got paid to get <laughs> drunk. So that was pretty neat as an 18 year old. It's pretty weird how like both of you guys earned tw- at least $20 <laughs> in your number one. So I, I congratulate you both on both of your Well, I, I guess technically uh, Nathan made more money because I paid five to get in. And then I got 20 back. So I made 15. So. I, I'm still impressed regardless. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Mitchell, I was only going to give you two points because initially you were like, it just sounded like you were going to be an asshole and clear out the party for no reason, but you did it because you wanted to help these dudes out. So yeah. you're going to get three points for oh, this. Thank you. And Nathan, uh, you'll be getting three points as well because you just took advantage of that absolute donk nugget. <laughs> she did not. <laughs> you, you, you just totally, you got her. Uh, 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 unfortunately, that leaves us with a tie today at 11 points oh, each. What? All of your schemes were successful, so nobody gets a bonus point of failing. So wait, wait, congratulations no, wait, all on, around. Hold on, hold on. Wasn't what? What? Phil Ivey knew he was lying, right? That's what Nathan said. That's what Nathan said, but can we confirm? I guess we can't. Okay. I We can't confirm. I, I would love to confirm. It's a draw today. Wow. You guys like football so much. Well, here you go. Here's a tie. <laughs> Dumbass sport. All right. Continue. <laughs> All right. Uh, we can't leave today uh, without going over my fast five, which, of course, is the top five worst ranks of nobility to have. 
Number five, the Baron of Plastron. <laughs> now, if you came, if you came from a line of barrel makers, we'd call you Cooper. If you could forge metal, we'd call you Smith. But your snooty ass family only makes breast shields for fencers. It's not even real swashbuckling. So you're the Baron of Plastron. It is a real <laughs> word. Get cultured, you peasant. Number four. Duchess Deborah of Dictatorium. Oh no, your bloodline is filled with useless failed musicians and you only became noble after the monarchy purchased the land your factory was on that makes the Dictatorium a silent piano for practicing. It makes no noise. It just absorbs your touch without reciprocating love, just like your cold-hearted mother. But that's because she's been dead in the shed for a shallow fortnight. Oh, Number three. <laughs> The Viscount of Bracklebridge. That's right. You never made it to Earl status. You're just a Viscount because of your uncontrollable grip. You had one job to deliver bread and cakes, but you shattered every loaf and cake that came through your service. To Brackle is to break, just like the crumbling bridge that leads to your gate. Number two. The Xelophobic Earl of Three Acre Lot. You are a humble Earl and love your three acre plot. It's just enough for you, but you don't dream bigger because you're afraid of being jealous. If you have more than three acres, you'll have to converse with other people that have more than three acres. If you meet someone with five acres, how are you going to feel? Better to just accept your three acres and move on. <laughs> Number one, the Marchioness of Munchtown. Oh, man, you are a badass bitch. You killed your husband, the Marcus, and now no one suspects you. But you are a noblewoman with rank above a countess, viscountess, and a baroness. But your husband owned Munchtown. You could not have inherited a worse named town, and now you are stuck with the Marchioness of Munchtown. That is the worst <laughs> ranks of nobility to have. And that is this week's edition of Uber Cinco from under the floorboards in the nondescript dark cavern near Ely, Minnesota. Has Mitch been. Brink, man. And the Duchess of Warren County. <laughs> Nathan Henenfent. And I have been your big wet boy, Brian Ernst. And as Bizbear always says, owning even one square foot of property makes you a landlord. And feel free to evict yourself when you're ready. Alvita Zane and Adios. You've just listened to Uber Cinco, a production of UBK Studios. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your fine podcasts from. If you like what you hear and want to support the show, please visit our Patreon site at patreon.com slash UBK Studios. Every little bit helps us keep the lights on and the bill collectors at bay. Keep tabs on us on all the social media at UBK Studios, and most importantly, subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can see that we really are just a bunch of good Midwestern boys. Yeah.